Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about helping people engage in the love of a fiercely relational God. Let's give Jesus a hand. If I step backwards and knock that over, will y'all tell me? (laughs) I get to jumping around up here, so you never know. Good morning. Let's see here. Happy Father's Day. At our house, we watch this... um, it's really silly, but it's a fun little show called um, like Izzy's Koalas. Anybody know that? Like, does no one in here know that show? Like, really? Not one person? Y'all got to look this up. This is this cute little girl uh, in New Zealand, Australia. She's down there, down under somewhere. Cute little girl. She reminds us of our oldest um, daughter, but Amelia, our youngest daughter, loves it. And um, Amelia uh, drew um, a Father's Day card for me, and on it she drew, can you guess? A koala, a koala. And so I got to show you. So Abby takes her koala and puts it on a pair of socks for me. So we celebrate um, things like Easter and Father's Day and whatever. We often celebrate on Saturday because Sunday I'm up out and and working. So we had a special day yesterday, but uh, happy Father's Day. I hope you got a donut on your way in and uh, what a a good day. Uh, Second thing, today is also Juneteenth. You may not know what that is. Um, I'll tell you quickly. That is a celebration of the emancipation of our African-American brothers and sisters from slavery. And we should not overlook that. And I think what's also interesting as we go through the text today, um, what we're going to see Judas begin to do to Jesus is motivated primarily by greed. And as I look back, what we have done, not just America, what humankind has done over the course of history, motivated by greed, is at times atrocious. So for our African-American brothers and sisters here or tuned in, I just want to say we love you and we're grateful to be in the journey with you. The other thing is uh, this week is our last day of small groups. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to slip on this thing. I'm going to... I'm going to make a mess up here. This carpet's sliding today, and I'm going to fall, and then I'm going to have to get up and take a bow. Okay. Um, the other thing is our small groups are coming to an end. Who's participated in the small groups? Let me see some hands. They've been really powerful. I mean, so I've been leading three or four um, at our offices um, on Thursday nights. And like this past Thursday, I could not believe what happened. We became small groups on week five. Like people sharing and crying and opening up and like it's happening. Um, So we're going to do another small group run um, in the fall. So if you didn't participate, think about it. uh, Joining us in the fall, we've got one more week. If you're not in one, feel free to show up uh, to our offices off of Burnt Mill this Thursday from 630 to 8. We'll be hanging out there. And I think that's it. Okay, we are in um, John 12. Take your Bible, open, scroll, whatever you're doing. 
I think I'm actually going to start by reading uh, 11, really by uh, verse 47. So do a breath prayer with me is what I'd call a breath prayer. Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? You don't need to um, pray big, loud, or long. You just need to pray frequently and authentically. I do this a lot. Anytime I open the scripture, I'm going to go, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? And part of what that does is it postures your heart in such a way that you're able to hear. You're able to see. Um, I think the other thing that I would say as we move to the text here this morning is I'm always mentioning the one-year Bible. We've got these one-year Bibles on the table. We give away out there. But I am convinced if we as God's kids, we as his people, open up that one-year Bible or any Bible for that matter in an unhurried way, I think that's one of the keys, right? We got the email scroll and the Facebook scroll and the TikTok scroll, right? Weather, and it goes on and on. But if you'll open up his word in an unhurried way and say, Lord Jesus, speak to me, I'm convinced that he will encounter you and speak to you in the word. So that's the attitude that we go uh, into this this morning. Let's start reading um, in chapter 11, the latter half of verse uh, 47. I'll just start at the beginning of 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is just all the big, important religious people. Really simple. Okay, uh, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's a man performing many signs. Okay, who's performing the signs? Jesus, that's right. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Who? Jesus, that's right. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. What are they saying? So in this day and age, the Romans um, were known to show up. And if there was a, um, a kerfuffle or like an uprising or if there's something that the Romans didn't like, what would they do? Send in an army and quell it. Iron fist. So they're afraid, uh, rightly, um, that Jesus is going to create a kerfuffle and that the Romans are then going to come in and squish it. So, verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, the high priest is only one guy once a year, and they change that out. Um, and he is like the head um, of the Jewish um, church, really, but they didn't call it church at this time. But he's, he's the head of the Jews. He's the head of the temple. Um, and he says... He spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Let that sink. You don't realize it is better for you that one man die than everyone perish. Now, he's conniving. He is, um, I think, manipulative. He's got an agenda. He's a politician. So was this at all for Jesus? No, 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 not, not in the least. You do not realize, oh, excuse me, verse 51, he did not say this of his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. So what John is actually saying here is Caiaphas, and this is all important as we launch into chapter 12, but John is actually saying Caiaphas, um, even though his heart was turned against God, he prophesied for God. Now, prophecy here just means that he spoke, um, probably inadvertently at this point, but he spoke the words of God. 
Really important, though, as we head into these next few passages, because God has established the authority, um, or allowed the authority, if you'd prefer, depending on your theology, but God has established the authority over us, and whether they are good or evil, God can speak through them. Make a note. Verse 52, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So what he just said, John's writing, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, for the entire world, that everyone may know this Jesus. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So who's plotting to take whose life? Come on. Pharisees are plotting to take the life of Jesus. Okay, verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly, and instead he basically goes into hiding. Okay, Jesus has withdrawn into hiding. And I think at this point, it would uh, behoove us to understand Jesus as an outlaw. Okay, this is like, you know, King Jesus and his band of merry men who are hiding out. And he's got these people that are, are rolling with him throughout the countryside ministering. But it is it has gotten, um, they want his life so badly, they are out to kill him that he is fully withdrawn. And he is now laying low because it ha- is not yet his time. Yeah? All right, verse 55. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. Okay, just quickly, and then I'm going to move right into um, 12. The Passover. Uh, recollect back, we actually just preached through uh, most of Exodus. The Passover was in the Old Testament when the Israelites uh, were freed from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, right? And what they had to do is the final act that God did in Egypt is he actually took the life of Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians firstborn, both children, livestock, everything. It was like, whoa. And, and what God commanded Moses to do, and then Moses commanded the people, was take um, the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost um, of the, the, the doorway into their house. So they took a hyssop branch and they dipped it in blood and they went blood on the, on the side of the, the doorpost, the top. Um, and then they actually went in into the house, they roasted the lamb whose blood they just used, right? And then they ate it. And symbolically, what you begin to see is you get Jesus around you, before you, behind you, and inside of you. So one thing you hear me say a lot is Jesus both in you and through you. And that's like replete from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So there is a celebration that happens every year and it's Passover. And when Passover time comes, about two or two million, two and a half million people journey to Jerusalem in Jesus's day and they're camping out on the hills. Okay. So around Jerusalem, you've got all these hills. Like if we were standing in Jerusalem and we turned around, there's hills all over the place. It's arid, it's dry. And people have come and they don't have like cool little eureka tents and pop-up campers, right? They've got these little stick shelters and things, and, but there's this celebration that is underway. And it's not, a, it's not like revelry and like crazy drunkenness. and It's not that type of celebration. But it is a party because the people are, would gather around fires in the evening and they would actually sing the psalms together. They're actually breaking bread together. They're, they're, they're loving and celebrating that they are free and they're no longer slaves. Interesting that today's Juneteenth, right? Okay, so that's, that's the background on Passover and what's even happening in this moment. Okay, so as we enter into chapter 12, which is the crux of what we're dealing with today, I want you to be thinking of Jesus the outlaw. All right? Okay, 12 verse 1. Six days before the Passover. 
Anyone know how many days we are from Jesus' death at this moment? Six days. I love the Bible, and I love the God of the Bible, and I love this Jesus. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Now, back a chapter, who was Lazarus? The guy who was dead, buried, not one, not two, not three, four days in the ground, and the King James says, stinketh. He's in the ground decaying is what happened. And Jesus resurrected him and called him out. So Jesus goes back to this place called Bethany. It's like a mile and a half or two miles from Jerusalem. And he is coming out of hiding. There's, there's um, a, a celebration of two, two and a half million people all around Jerusalem. And so everyone is actually looking for Jesus, waiting for him to show up. And all of a sudden he shows up to hang out with the former dead guy. Okay. Here, uh, a dinner um, was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. If you're taking notes, you can write two things down. I'm not going to read it. Um, but Matthew 26, verse 6 through 13. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. And Mark 14, verse 3 through 9, both tell this same story. Okay, there's another story, an additional story about a woman who anoints um, the feet of Jesus, and that is in Luke 7, and that is a different woman. That is a former prostitute. It's a beautiful story. Um, I've preached it before if you want to go back and and look at it, but it's incredible. But this is similar to what's happening in Matthew 26 and in Mark um, 14. So uh, the other thing that we discover in the other text is that um, the party is actually, or this dinner party, is happening um, at, a, at a guy named Simon who was a former leper. Okay, so Jesus uh, rolls out of hiding. Jesus, the outlaw, is coming to town. Jesus, who they want to kill, they, the Pharisees and the religious people and Herod and everybody wants him dead. Jesus comes to town and he decides to go hang out at, at Simon, the former leper's house, with Lazarus, the former dead guy. I'm glad that irony wasn't totally lost on you. Okay. <clears throat> Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Um, You have to understand too about Lazarus. In fact, skip down to uh, verse 10. Actually, let's do 9 and then we'll, we'll go back to where we were. Chapter 12, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and not only because of him but also to see Lazarus. Okay. Uh, Whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus. Okay, so you got to understand, Lazarus has become like an overnight sensation. Like Lazarus put out a TikTok video and he's got three million followers all of a sudden. He has become an absolute sensation. Everyone wants to go see because this guy was dead and now he's alive. They're like, what? And not only do they want to see Lazarus, who else do they want to see? Jesus. Okay, so now all of a sudden there's this dinner party underway and people are pressing in these, these little houses where this dinner party would have happened. And now the crowds are they're murmuring through the hills. Jesus is here, and not only Jesus, but the guy that was dead, Lazarus. So let's get on down there and do what? Let's gawk, let's stare, let's see if this thing's real, let's go laugh. I mean, this, who knows, right? Let's just go check it out. So everyone is, go back up to verse 2. A dinner is given in Jesus' honor. Martha's serving um, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Okay. 
And we're going to really focus on Mary this morning. So this is, um, I love Mary in these passages, this, or these, these, these verses. Then Mary, now Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, that's right. So she took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, if y'all came in this morning and I had a chair up here, and during worship I thought it you know, might be good to have someone like pour perfume on my feet and then wipe my feet with their hair, you'd never come back, would you? <laughs> this is weird. Like this is scary. We read the Bible in such a flat way and fail to put ourselves into the situation and go, so, and let me even take you a, a touch deeper than this. Uh, nard, anybody reading King James this morning? No, one, maybe one. Spikenard is the word in King James. So spikenard is this little plant that grows on the banks of the Himalaya mountains. And so it has to be harvested, um, and it's harvested, and then it's processed, and it's made into this oil perfume thing called nard or spikenard, and then it's bottled, and then it's put on the backs of camels, and then it's traveled all the way by camel train to Jerusalem, okay? So this is like super rare. Not only is it super rare, we're going to find out in a couple verses, um, and I'm going to jump ahead Judas is saying it's worth a year's wages. So let's, let's try to wrestle this and put it in today's context because I think it'll make it mean so much more. Okay, it's worth a year's wages, a pint, 16 ounces. Okay, half a quart, half a liter. All right, so uh, Mary has this stuff and it's worth a year's wages. So if, our, if minimum wage was $15 an hour, then a year's wages is $31,000. A teacher, skilled craftsman, make 45-ish, let's say, I don't know, give or take. Um, so, so we have a bottle of perfume in our day and age, a bottle of, of, of oil or ointment that is worth um, 30 to 40, $45,000, okay? Like you gotta kinda get your head around this. So the opulence that this represents, um, the wealth, the like, this is like, what is going on? So this is a smell that everyone would have known, everyone would have been fully familiar with, and, and Mary is gonna break it out um, in a very, uh, really offensive way. So in this day and age, all the women would have had their um, hair up and then covered. Heads are covered, right? So who gets to see a woman's hair? The husband. And it's not in public. You follow me? This is a, um, this is such a like open, intimate, vulnerable, it, it is not sexual, but it is almost. Like what is happening here is so scandalous. Okay, so it is like, I mean, go back to me sitting on the stage, you know, I have my little thing and somebody's pouring perfume on me and wiping my feet with their hair. I mean, I'd never come back. I'd never talk to me again. In this day and age, for her to take her hair down um, and do anything, just take her hair down and brush it next to the table would have been crazy. But to wipe 
feet with her hair with a bottle of perfume that's worth thirty or forty thousand dollars is like what? I mean, that's worth more than mine Abby's car put together, right? This is like, huh? What is happening here? Um, is is uh, sort of beyond um, e- even understanding. So let's keep going. Okay, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Doesn't he sound generous? I mean, what a generous guy. I mean, intelligent, like smart, like generous, kind. It if you read the other passages, it, it appears that the disciples all get sucked into Judas's way of thinking. And so they all gang up on Mary. Okay, so now remember, they're sitting at this dinner party. And not only at a dinner party, but they've got people pressing in on the house from all sides, peering through the windows. Everyone's listening. There's a massive crowd that's now gathered. And uh, Mary is breaking open this perfume. She's pouring it on Jesus's feet. And if you read the other two texts, what is um, crystal clear from the other text is not only does she put it on Jesus's feet, but she puts it on his hair. And she, so she's anointing all of Jesus. Um, so everyone is pressing in, and then all of a sudden you have Judas who publicly humiliates her. And all the other disciples, what do they do? Let's stand up for her. Let's protect her. No, 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 no. All the other boys jump in too. Okay. You got Mary who's humiliated. Uh, you have this crazy ointment we're talking about. Um, let, me, let me pause and just interject something in because I think it's going to help us begin to understand what Mary is doing here. Um, in this day and age, it would have been appropriate for Mary to anoint a dead body um, at a funeral uh, with a, 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 a nard ointment just like she did with Jesus. But was Jesus dead? No, he was alive. So it became a, uh, it became a scandal. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Verse five, uh, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, says John after the fact, but because he was a thief. Now they didn't, you gotta keep in mind, none of the disciples knew at this moment that Judas was a thief. They didn't know that he was gonna betray Jesus. They, Jesus keeps investing in Judas Um, And it goes on to say, as keeper of the money bag, he, Judas, used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. I I love to see Jesus step in and shield different people at different points. So everyone's all around. Mary is now fully humiliated. Okay, public disgrace. It's like old school gentleman, you know, slap in the face, like old British, like whatever, you know. (laughs) That's what's happened here to Mary. She's humiliated. And Jesus steps in and says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. We're going to wrestle with that in a few minutes. You will always have the poor among you. Doesn't Jesus sound not generous? Not kind? Huh. But you will not always have me. Verse nine, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, there's that crowd gathering around, not only because of him, but also to see 
the former dead guy, there we go, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus. When you want something gone, what do you do? Kill it. I mean, that's what they're doing. I, we don't want people to know Lazarus was raised from the dead. We don't want people to know Jesus. We don't want them to believe in him. We're going to kill them both. Verse 11, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to see Jesus and putting their faith in him. Okay, let's back up here. Um, This um, spikenard ointment, this nard ointment would have been so um, profoundly pungent. They sell cheap imitations of this over in, in Israel now, but it's not the real thing. It would have been so pungent and it was an oil. So I, I, I want you to, okay, let's, let's like get into this a, a moment so you, we can fully get and understand this. When, when people in Israel journey two, three or four days, which they would have done to come to the Passover celebration, right? Um, are they wearing deodorant? No, okay. Have they had a shower? No, okay. Have they had a bath? No, okay. So by the time they've journeyed three or four days in like 100 degree heat, they probably haven't had a bath in a month anyway. So we are stinky. Okay, so you come to a dinner party and if you were really, really wealthy, someone would walk into a dinner party and there'd be a place for you to wash your hands. Wash, wash your face. Rinse your hair, you know, you're, you're, as you're coming in. There'd be a place for you to wash your feet. If you're at a really wealthy dinner party, there would actually be a servant there. And all you would do is give them your hands and the servant would, would wash. Okay, so as you come in, you're doing this like mini bath or something. And then after you go through the washing, there's going to be a place where there's olive oil. And what the idea of the olive oil is you actually take it almost like we would take lotion and you rub it on your hands, you rub it on your face, you rub it in your hair, you rub it on your feet. Okay, so what's happening is people are getting this little mini bath sort of as they come in. There's, there's ceremonial washing in this, but there's also just social norms. This is the custom. So people are taking this bath, then they're anointed with oil, um, and then they walk in. So apparently at Simon the leper's house, either this didn't happen or Mary just decided that she was going to do it because she breaks out this expensive perfume and she anoints Jesus' feet. He would have been wearing sandals, so she's taking off his sandals. She's anointing his feet. She's anointing his hair. It would have gotten on his hands. Now, this pungent smell. I want you to think for a second. Is Jesus going to take a bath this night? No. Is he going to take a bath in the next three or four days? Is he going to take a bath in the next six days? When the Romans begin the process of crucifying this Jesus when they begin to spit on him, when they begin to beat him, when they begin to mock him, when they jam the crown of thorns down on his head and he bleeds, what smell is lingering in the air? The nard. So you have this idea of what is actually beginning to happen is nard would have been something that would have been appropriate for a very, 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 very wealthy man at their Death, burial. Okay, so what Mary begins to do here is she, by the eyes of the Spirit, and we're going we're gonna to get into this a little bit more, but she sees what is coming. And I'm actually going to propose to you that I think Mary is maybe one of the only people right now who actually understands what's coming. So she sees with the eyes of the Spirit into what's coming, and it says, remember verse 7, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my Burial, is that before or after death? 
after death. So Mary sees into, the, into, the, into what is happening, what is coming down the pike, and she's going to take this perfume and she's going to anoint Jesus while he is alive because Jesus is the living sacrifice. So when the Romans make Jesus carry this, the piece of the cross that he carried, the cross beam most likely, down the Via Dolorosa up to Golgotha, when he was doing that, and then when they would have flipped him over and pounded the iron nails through his hands, what smell would have been coming off every time that, that iron went, nard. So what is happening is everything about this Jesus is actually preaching to the reality that he is the Messiah King and he is the living sacrifice and he is fulfilling Passover and he has come to take away the sins of the world through his death and then ultimately through his resurrection. Okay, back to it. I want to talk for a second about Mary's extravagant love. I want to talk about Mary's um, love being humble, sacrificial, um, prophetic, and then this idea of Mary ministering uh, to Jesus. We're just going to kind of go through that. But I think it's worth saying uh, as, we, as we look at Mary and even her character, what could have been going on inside of her, uh, let's park on Judas for just a second. You have Judas and I, there's all these theologians out there who go, Judas had this agenda, and they kind of try to make Judas like a good guy, or he had this thing, and Jesus didn't fulfill what he wanted, and so he turned on Jesus. I think, I think what the Bible allows for is only that Judas was greedy. That's it. Why did Judas betray Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. He's greedy. He wanted what he wanted, when he wanted it. He helped himself to the money bag, and so he killed Jesus. I don't want to step too far down this road, but this is, this is powerful. It, it, one of the things we've decided here at Saltbox is we don't pass a collection plate. Different people have different feelings on that. It doesn't really matter. We've put a little box out there. We, we, we collect tithes and offerings. We do that. That's important. Um, but what we never want to communicate is you give um, to come, or you give because you're here, or you have to give. Now, let me, let me couch that because if you, <laughs> I had a CPA friend, um, and she used to say, she'd never betray any details, but she'd look at me and she'd go, you wouldn't believe how much you can tell about somebody by doing their tax return. And it's fascinating to me, she'd say, the wealthier people get, the less they I'm just listening. We strategically put that box back there because I want you, we want you, the leadership here wants you to give because you've decided in your heart, this is what I'm called to do. Not because you have some compulsion to do it or that plate comes by. I remember being a kid. I grew up in a Presbyterian church and the plate would come by and I'd be like... My parents didn't say you have to put something in there. Nobody around me ever even said anything, but I just feel like I should put something in there, right? And it makes you begin to feel like you could be earning your salvation by what you give instead of, no, 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 I give out of an overflow. Does that make sense? So if you show me, uh, I was going to say your checkbook, but half of you in here probably don't know what a checkbook is anymore. 
uh, if you show me your bank ledger statement on your app or whatever, <laughs> I'll show you how surrendered your heart is to God. I'm just telling you, just the way it is. Same would be true if you show me the secret thoughts of your mind, the secret motives of your heart, I can also show you how surrendered your mind, heart, and life is to Jesus. Money and how we deal with it is very important. Judas, did Judas have a home? No. Which makes him homeless. Greedy people can be homeless. Greedy people can be wealthy. It's an attitude of the, it's not about what you have. If God's made you wealthy, praise Jesus. It's a burden to bear and a blessing to give. Okay, I think that's good on that. All right, uh, let's move on. Mary's love was extravagant. Um, And here's probably what I want you to begin to see about Mary. Mary uh, comes into this situation, and I'm I'm totally guessing here. I can't, like, put my hands on it in the text exactly. But somewhere, Mary had a little chest in her room or a little secret place where she kept her most special things. And maybe she had this nard set aside for her father's funeral. Or maybe she—we don't know why she had it. We don't know if the family was wealthy. But at some point, Mary realized that this was the king, this was the— the Messiah, and she wanted to use this um, ointment on the day of his death. She began to recognize, seeing into the unseen reality, she began to recognize that she was called to use this for Jesus. And I think if I could say something here that is so powerful, is God's like permissive will, I think, would have been for her to anoint his body with it um, after he Died, But I think what Mary contended for was this perfect will of God where she was able to somehow by the Spirit see what was going to happen and then act in faith and then take this ointment and actually anoint this Jesus as the living sacrifice leading up to his death. So what actually begins to happen here is this Mary probably more than any of the disciples sees and understands um, and then seizes a once in a lifetime opportunity. Okay. Go with me there just a second. If she had kept that nard in her chest, in her room, could she have used it on the day of Jesus' burial? Yes, totally fine. But she's seizing the opportunity by faith, grabbed it while he was still alive and makes a public spectacle of herself, humbling and in some ways humiliating herself, surrendering everything, her reputation, her good name, uh, her, her, uh, her physical body, her hair. She lays it all at the feet of this King Jesus and she's seizing the opportunity, goes beyond perhaps the permissive will of God into this perfect will of God and she maybe above every person I can find in any of the gospels grasps the significance of who Jesus was, what he was about to do, and she became um, a partner, uh, sort of co-ruling and reigning with him in the establishment of his kingdom. Like, it's so powerful. What if, go here for a minute, she had said, no, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to use my Would she have still been a believer? 
Yes. So, so there's this thing here that begins to emerge where we as people have this freedom, I think, to receive from the Lord Jesus and then to even fully grasp all that he has for us and by faith bring his heart for us into the scene. You follow me? That's a, that's a like, it's something you'd have to wrestle with and think about. But Mary's love was extravagant. Caiaphas, the high priest, did he have an opportunity to recognize Jesus? Yeah, he refused it. How about Pontius Pilate? Interesting about Pontius Pilate. I've only, I can only find one source to corroborate this, but I've got one source. And I like it, so I'm going to tell you. Pontius Pilate, after he killed Jesus, as this one source says, he uh, withdrew to this beautiful little retirement village. He had a house that overlooked the sea, and right behind his house that overlooked the sea, he could see this beautiful mountain, and it was a little village called Pompeii, and there was a mountain called Vesuvius. Could Pontius Pilate have chosen? Yes. Could he have made like Mary? Yes. Could Herod, the king of this area at this time? Yes. Could the disciples, could the other guys have stood by Jesus and waited and even recognized what was going to happen? Yes. Had he told them plainly? Yes, he told them with such crystal clarity. And the fact that they missed it, it's like, I, I'm not even sure. But what I want you to see here is there are certain opportunities that the Lord gives us as his kids, as his people. It's not determining our salvation or whether we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. It's not about that. It is about your companionship and participation with him now and pulling all of that unseen reality, all of his heart for you into the now. There are certain situations that if Mary had not anointed his feet on that day, she never could have done it again. Does God redeem? Yes. Does he restore? Yes. Does he forgive? I'm not saying be afraid, but I am saying as people that walk with King Jesus, as we journey, there are things that pass through our lives that become this once in a lifetime opportunity. And if you don't seize the moment, you can miss it. Mary's love was extravagant. Mary's love was humble, willing to be misunderstood, willing to sit at the feet of Jesus. When Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, she took the posture of a slave, of a servant. I mean, that's where some of Paul's doctrine comes out of, become a servant of Christ. She humbled herself and recognized a revelation that many others failed to grasp. The third thing is Mary's love was sacrificial. I think it was a sacrificial act uh, for Jesus, uh, for her own life, for the disciples. It was a blessing to Simon, the former leper. And she would have filled Simon's house with what? I mean, this nard would have been like, would have permeated absolutely everything the living sacrifice of King Jesus is wafting through like it is happening. 
Which leads me to my next point. Mary's love was prophetic. And I would actually say to you that she, uh, prophetic, um, if that's a weird word to you or a scary word, it's just a Bible word. And it just means she, she saw with the eyes of the Spirit into what was coming. Um, and she acted by faith out of what she knew was coming instead of what she saw with her eyes. Like the disciples, you know, Judas says, we should have sold this and given it to the poor. And the disciples react out of their two eyes. Yeah, I agree. That would have been a good idea. Boo. Mary is seeing beyond prophetically into the unseen what's about to happen. And so she sacrifices um, it all. It's sacrificial. Her love is prophetic. And now uh, this, this last um, thing I want you to grasp, and this is really interesting, but what I see here is one of the first people who begin to minister to Jesus. What do I mean? <laughs> uh, many of us who become Christians go, okay, I have an obligation to minister for Jesus, Okay. Was her uh, putting this perfume on Jesus' feet, on his hair, is that for Peter, the disciple? Not really. Is it for the other disciples? Is it for the Jews? Is it for people watching? Yes, maybe secondary or tertiary. But primarily, this act is actually for because sovereign God Almighty is looking down, this loving, gracious, kind, gentle Father is looking down going, this is my son who's about to be hurt and abused and hated and he's gonna bleed and he's gonna suffer and he's gonna die and I'm actually gonna separate myself from him and my wrath is gonna come against him because of the weight of the sin of the world, past, present, and future. And I'm gonna have my servant Mary who's the only person for whatever reason who can see prophetically into what's about to happen to actually get on her knees and sit at the feet of my son and encourage him because of what's about to happen to him. Like it is so powerful. So Mary begins to minister to Jesus. So um, let's, let's talk, wrestle here for just a minute. You come to a, a service gathering like this and most service gatherings start with Worship, okay, or people are in keys or whatever. And most worship leaders um, lead us in praising who? God, okay. Some worship leaders have taken a step further and they are able to actually pivot as they lead worship. And there's this pivot that happens. There's a greeting, hello, we're praising. I'm standing with you and together we are praising Jesus. But if you'll watch, there's certain worship leaders who will actually pivot. And I'm gonna break the rules of public speaking here, but you'll get over it. Um, there are certain worship leaders who while they're leading this worship, they're gonna pivot and they're gonna begin to worship two they're going to begin to minister to. And all of a sudden, when that happens, we as people can actually take a step beyond just singing to God or singing about God or singing some things that we believe to be true. But all of a sudden, we take up our place as people who are sitting at the feet of King Jesus actually ministering to. It's a whole nother like spot in your maturity. And it's actually a line of demarcation, I would say. If you've been in church a long time, maybe this is a step you'd even take where you actually begin to minister to King Jesus. At this point, the disciples are all rolling with him and they're ministering kind of with him. They're ministering for him. They're like excited because stuff is happening. But Mary all of a sudden upgrades all of the situation and she begins to minister to 
Jesus. It's this like super powerful shift that begins to happen where all of a sudden you're beginning to grasp this mystery of Jesus in you and Jesus through you. Like now you're ministering to God. There's actually something even in preaching. Sometimes you'll watch me do it. I'm talking to you, I'm sharing with you. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter whether you're even here or not. Because I'm ministering to Jesus. It's this powerful thing that Mary did here. There's this, it is beautiful and like almost incomprehensible. If you're a worshiper here, if you're a worship leader, this is a a magnificent place where you begin to actually um, minister to Jesus. Okay, so we have here this quiet dinner party, uh, really, that became a um, big, loud thing because people are all gathered around. We, we have Mary um, who comes out, and she's willing to humble herself. She's willing to endure humiliation to minister to Jesus. We've, we've looked at Mary's love um, sort of being extravagant, her love being humble, her love being sacrificial, um, her love being prophetic. And then we've looked at her love being a ministry to, not just for, Jesus. If we defined a Christian as someone who has received the unmerited grace and forgiveness and love of God and then learned to love him in return, is Mary a Christian? You better believe it. Here's what I would love to do as we close. And I'm going to ask you to take a little bit of a step of faith. In fact, worship team, if y'all are here, you can come on back out. I have thoroughly messed up the whole thing behind me. I'm sorry. I want to ask you to, um, to begin with me. And if you're here and you've not been before, just hang out. This is kind of a family moment. Um, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, that's okay. I'm going to be up here. I'd love to pray with you. Any of our prayer team could lead you in a, a surrendering your life to him in a prayer. But I'd love for us as a church to actually um, pivot in our worship here in this closing song, to actually give praise to, let me say that differently. I'd love for us to pivot to minister to King Jesus. You follow me? Prayer team, if you're here, would you come up? If you need special prayer, come on down. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, come on down by Matthew. I'll meet you. We'll we'll pray. If you're here and you're like, oh my goodness, I hear what you're saying, Michael, but I don't understand it. Here's the question. Peter couldn't walk on water unless he got out of the boat. Some of you actually might want to go, you know what, Jesus? I'm not even sure what this guy's talking about, ministering to but I'm gonna take a step of faith. I'm gonna open this up. Just, you can come down. You can stand in your seat. You can come down front right here. But as a church, let's make like Mary and let's pivot into worshiping him, uh, ministering to him in a humble, extravagant way. Does that make sense? All right, stand together. I'm gonna pray for us. And then they're going to lead us in something. And we'll go from there. Lord Jesus, I pray for us as a church. The people gathering online, the people listening on a podcast, the people listening on YouTube, wherever they are, Father. 
I pray that you would be about raising up a new wave of your spirit in the church, a group of people who make like Mary in terms of their willingness to be humble, their willingness to be sacrificial, their willingness even to be humiliated, and a group of people who actually begin to minister to you, not just sing songs. And Father, I pray that as we close this gathering, that you would wash over our hearts, over our minds. You'd begin to change us and conform us. And Father, would you allow us to step into some of whatever Mary had and grasped on that precious day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Take a step. If you've never lifted a hand in worship, you might want to do that. There's nothing special. If you've never closed your eyes in worship, guess what? Close your eyes. That way you don't have to look at the person in front of you. If you've never come down front, you might want to do that. But take a step and begin to engage him, ministering to him at a deeper level. to do that too we have a really open area down here and um so yeah i don't know it's just feeling it come sing a little closer to us but um yeah that's all God 
with me how great is our God oh see how great how great is our God he's the name above all
from eternity past, there is an offer that is extended to every single one of us, and it's the offer to engage the Lord Jesus by sitting at his feet and laying everything down, knowing him and being known by him. As you go from this place today, know that this is the God who is real, the God who knows you, the God who has a purpose and a plan, the God who has the best intentions for you. And if you will begin to call a strategic time out in your life and engage him in worship and prayer and the word in an unhurried way, you will begin to know and be known by the God creator of the universe. Lord Jesus, I pray for this church. I pray for this time. I pray for this space, Lord Jesus. Would you plant in our hearts the seeds of eternity, the knowledge of who you are, Lord Jesus, past, present, and future. Would you call us deeper and higher? And Father, would you transform us, fully forming Jesus in each of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.